Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. Uh, Joining us here in a few minutes will be uh, our good friend from about three and a half furlongs across the Harpeth River, our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. But How are you doing? I'm I'm Corey. I'm Coach Corey, and I'm really excited to be here. Well, not quite as good as your other coaching impressions we heard uh, a few episodes ago, Josh. We're going to have to break that out for a special segment here in a few weeks. But um, we've already heard your voice, but it's the third amigo in the second city. A man who knows that the best casinos are all on riverboats. Our intrepid <laughs> blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, doing a little bit better than uh, Mike Riley right now, to say the least, considering his safety net just got fired. Yeah, his... His boss just got canned uh, a couple hours ago. So uh, we'll probably talk about that more on Monday's pod after we have a little bit more time to digest it. But uh, if, before- uh, if they lose to Nebraska or if they lose to Rutgers, does the uh, Board of Regents also just fire Riley? I mean, I would certainly hope so. But then, you know, again, we're going to get back to that conversation. Well, they, they fire Riley. They're still paying Polini. You know, they're going to be paying three coaches at that point. So, but what are you going to do? Um, got to do. Well, before we get to the show, don't first, don't forget to just to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us a review. It helps get our show discovered by new listeners. we got a big slate of games this weekend. Um, so uh, when Coach returns, we're going to have uh, our new segment, which we're calling Professor's Pop Quiz. But uh, we will deter that for some quick slants. So, uh, Josh, I know you've got a couple of games out west that you are intrigued by. I do. Uh, call this my Old West doubleheader. Uh, the first one is Utah, who's 3-0 and and nationally ranked, but I'm still a little suspicious. Their most impressive win is at BYU by only six points, but the Cougars are reeling right now, so I'm not buying too much Utah stock. And they go to Arizona, who is and 2-1 on the year, lost, at, or, uh, lost against Houston, which is kind of understandable. They're still a really good team. Uh, but in their two wins, 60 points in each of them, they're running the ball really, really well. If Utah wins, I will be inclined to maybe believe some more of the hype. If Arizona wins, I think you have to say that Richrod has this thing turned around a little bit, and we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds for them. So kind of an interesting game. Uh, that is on Friday, by the way, people. Friday night in Tucson, things can get wacky. Uh, the other game is New Mexico heads to Tulsa. The, these are two teams that we had as sleepers in their respective conferences. They're both one and two right now. Uh, New Mexico struggling on offense. We saw that against uh, New Mexico State. It took them three quarters to wake up. They're not quite clicking like we expected them to. And Tulsa's defense has been just atrocious. Kind of feels like the season is maybe on the brink 
for these two teams getting to one and three. I don't know how they recovered. Tulsa's played kind of a tough schedule though, haven't they? Yeah, they have, but um, that still doesn't explain giving up the points left and right. True. Very true. Well, speaking of giving up points, my first slant uh, is going to look at two potentially very high-scoring matchups, each of which will uh, feature an American Conference team. Uh, first, an early kickoff in Houston on Saturday where the Cougars are hosting Cliff Kingsbury's Texas Tech Red Raiders. The denizens of Lubbock have put up more than 50 points in their first two games, each of their first two games, I should say. And first-year starting quarterback Nick Shimanek is putting up the kinds of stats we've come to expect from signal callers in that system. Uh, He's completing nearly 80% of his throws and has a fantastic 11-0 to touchdown-interception ratio. Junior wide receiver Kiki Kuti, uh, one of my favorite names in the country, has been uh, the main target for Shimanek. Uh, he's got 285 yards on 17 catches and three scores to date. For Houston, Kyle Allen has been very accurate so far in his first season starting after transferring from Texas A&M completing over 86% of his attempts, but only has a 3-2 to two touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, instead, it's actually the Cougars' defense that seems to really be taking a step forward in Major Applewhite's first season at the helm, allowing a total of 19 points through two games. Ed Oliver is still the guy to look for here. He's as disruptive of a force as you'll see in college football on the defensive line. If Oliver and his line mates can get some pressure on Shimanek without having to blitz, I think that could really disrupt the Red Raider air raid attack and keep things interesting. Houston is favored by six in this one, but honestly, it's a toss-up. We still haven't seen the full force of the Cougars' offense yet, so I'm predicting a breakout game against a Tech defense that is mediocre at best. Uh, The other game that I'm interested here is uh, UCF at Maryland. This is going to be a doozy. The Golden Knights have played only one game so far, thanks to Hurricane Irma, but in that one, they put up a good old-fashioned beat down on FIU 61 to 17. Scott Frost in his second season has already turned this program around, and it would not surprise me in the least if his name is being rumored for some bigger jobs later this year. Maybe that. Nebraska. <laughs> exactly. Nebraska definitely comes to mind. He used um, to coach there. Uh, he did. Uh, Mackenzie Milton has looked much improved in his first season. In his, uh, in his first start this season, I should say, as compared to last year. Uh, and they have a couple of weapons on the outside in Dredrick Snelson and Traquan Smith that will definitely give DJ Durkin and Maryland defensive coordinator Andy Boo nightmares. The Terps, however, are definitely riding high in their own right after handing the reins over to true freshman quarterback Kasim Hill after Tyrell Pegram went down with an injury against Texas in the opener. But make no mistake, this is a team that wants to run the ball, and they've got a running back in Ty Johnson who really allows them to do just that. Through, uh, through two games, he's averaging more than 15 yards a carry and has three scores. Uh, the game's in College Park, and I think that might be just enough of an edge uh, from Maryland. Uh, but, you know, like this last game, I can absolutely see it going either way. If they can find a way to slow down the explosive UCF offense, I think I might just have to start fearing the turtle, Josh. You know what's interesting about Maryland? Guess how many votes they were receiving prior to the Texas-USC game and how many votes they were receiving after it. I'm going to say prior they were receiving 13 and after they were receiving 87. It went from 42 to 84. Okay, so my second guess wasn't that far off. I know. Although, like, why don't voters think USC is just overrated? 
I mean, you and I both think that, <laughs> but we're obviously not the voters here. We'll be proven right eventually the way uh, USC has been struggling on both sides of the ball. Times. Well, uh, we will get to them in my second slant, but I know uh, we, we got to get some, to some seriously hot, steamy action first. Yeah, we haven't had much action yet, but finally this weekend we have two conference games, and I really like both of them, quite frankly. Uh, Miami of Ohio, I slurred that. That was nice. Uh, they were the team that went 0-6 last year before going 6-0 and to make a bowl game. And this was a team that returned a lot of pieces, and we thought that they could be a little bit of a sleeper, kind of a dark horse, but uh, they lost their opening game at Marshall, beat Austin P, but Austin P is one of the historically worst FCS programs, and they only beat them by 21. And then they lost the keg of nails to Cincinnati. So they're one and two, and just seem a little off. And then Central Michigan is a team that we expected nothing from, and so did a lot of people that look at the MAC. And yet the chips are two and one and have that blowout win at Kansas under their belt. So Miami's trying to get back. Josh, they were not phased by the track. No, they weren't. Uh, so, so Miami's trying to get back into gear, try and get another win. And the chips are just – they're kind of playing with house money. They're a team that no one expected anything from. Maybe they ride this hot start all the way to winning a division. Who knows? But um, I'm intrigued by that game to see who who uh, emerges victorious. And then the other one is yeah, – Hold on. Before you get there, I just want to say, uh, say one quick thing about Miami. Um, I was very bearish on this team coming into the year. I thought that second half of the year was sort of smoke and mirrors, if you remember back in when I did, when I did the MAC preview. Yeah. Season, I thought they were going to finish down near the bottom of their division. I did not see – uh, the talent there. So I, I, I'd still going on that. I would, I would take the chips in this game. Well, the game is in Mount Pleasant, uh, which is in Michigan for people. <laughs> uh, Miami of Ohio is in Oxford, right? That is correct. Nice. Uh, so let's go over to Ypsilanti then, uh, which is home of Eastern Michigan. They are two and oh, they smoked Charlotte in the first game and then won at Rutgers. They've given up just 10 points per game all year. They have a salty defense, and they're kind of one of those blue-collar teams reminiscent of Kansas State where they just don't beat themselves. doesn't mean they're always going to win, but they just don't commit a lot of penalties, don't commit a lot of turnovers. They just are a fundamentally sound team, if not the most talented. Uh, and they host Ohio, who is a veteran team, we, this was a, like a consensus division winner. People really love Frank Solich's team. Uh, they lost to Purdue, but also blew out Kansas and won a FCS matchup. So they are two and one on the year. Eastern's two and no. There's going to be a lot of defensiveness game. There's going to be a lot of hard hits. And, and this is just going to be a good football game, even if the schools are a little smaller than our listeners are used to watching. No, that's a, like a three thirty kickoff on Saturday, right? For that one, uh, ESPN is showing it as a one p.m. game, <laughs> which is about the most unusual time I've heard. Uh, but it is on ESPN three, so that means it's streaming. So you can uh, throw it up on your iPad while watching any other game. Well, I think I might ha- I might have to do that because that is a game that if you like, uh, you know, 
football, how it was played back in the good old days. Mm. That's that's the game for you this weekend. Uh, by the way, it's expected to be so close. Guess the uh, FPI, the ESPN Football Power Index matchup. Uh, um, I will guess that they've got – I'll take Ohio by like – they've got Ohio two or three places better than um, than East. Uh, Ohio, 50.3%. Easter, 49.7. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, they're very evenly matched. I like I like what Eastern's doing. They surprised us last year, and they're continuing to surprise us this year. But it's hard to pick against Frank Solich. I mean, you just don't walk into the factory. It, uh, yes, we, we have to use that. I, I think that's the most brilliant name for a stadium, especially you know in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Well, you know what? I thought the road boat stuff was really dumb and gimmicky. The Eastern Michigan stuff is equally gimmicky, but, like, it kind of plays in with that region in the Rust Belt. Yeah, I, I, I never understood how row the boat sort of fit in with uh, Kalamazoo. Well, I mean, Broncos are a very aquatic animal. I mean, yeah, obviously, because when I think of uh, swimming gracefully, I think of wild stallions. <laughs> and PJ fucks up listening to the podcast. Well, it's, it's okay. We, I, I've, I've made how, how I feel about PJ Fleck pretty clear over the past couple months. So um, for my second slant, though, um, Josh, we mentioned this team a little bit ago, uh, USC, and I wanted to bring back an old favorite segment of ours, and that's the... It's a trap! Game of the week. Uh, this week, USC is coming off of a roller coaster overtime win against Texas. And they have to head to the Palouse next week on a short week. Uh, but they should absolutely not be overlooking uh, the newly adopted team of this podcast, the Cal Golden Bears. Don't forget, Cal's head coach, Justin Wilcox, was the defensive coordinator for the Trojans only two seasons ago. And so he obviously knows this team quite well. And while they're not putting up the video game-like passing numbers we saw out of Davis Webb and company last season, this year's Golden Bears team is much more balanced, with a nearly 50-50 split between runs and passes. The biggest beneficiary to that has been junior running back Patrick Laird, who has completely blossomed this season in his first year starting. He's got 278 yards on 37 carries and four touchdowns to go with another 100 yards and a score uh, catching the ball. But after last year's team finished 127th out of 128 in scoring defense, uh, they're up to 52nd this season in scoring defense. And obviously that has been what's made the biggest difference so far in their 3-0 start. Uh, We all know about Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones, Stephen Carr, and the rest of the weapons that USC has on offense. But this is their first game outside of the Coliseum this season. And it would not surprise me if they got off to a slow start in Berkeley. Uh, Josh, you have been sort of Mm. the Cal bandwagon on this pod, I would have to say. Yeah, Uh, I mean, they just caught my attention with that North Carolina win, and they've been holding it. Yeah. So do you, what, what are the keys to the game for them in, in your opinion here? I mean, this sounds like a cop-out, but really the biggest key to the, for them is getting to play in Berkeley. I was looking at the last few matchups uh, two years ago, 27-21. Uh, a few years prior to that, uh, there was a 24-17 to game. Uh, you know, Berkeley is just – different you know they they've got uh their band it's not quite as cool as stanford's but they do have like 
kind of one of those funky bands. They've got kind of a funky vibe there, and it just sort of lulls you asleep almost. And the Men of Troy have had some sluggish performances up there, and I think this Cal team is good enough that if USC comes out flat and it takes them two, three quarters to get going, when you give teams confidence, that's the easiest way to get upset. So I think... USC needs to come out and, and hit them in the mouth right away. So here, here's the way I think of it. Um, do you think Texas is better than North Carolina? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> What's up, Coach? Coach. Hey, guys. What's up, guys? How you doing, buddy? Well, uh, you're, you're, here, you're here just in time to talk a little uh, USC Cal in our It's a Trap Game of the Week. Yeah, I'm. You know, this is set up perfectly for for an upset. I think this ain't your same Cal team. I saw it. I saw what they did. Uh, a little bit of what they did against Ole Miss. Josh talked about it in a pod earlier this week. Uh, I'm. I'm kind of. I'm kind of what what uh, Justin Wilcox is selling up there in in, uh, in Berkeley. Yeah, man. I, I think that the Bears have a great shot here, especially because you got to think that. USC might be for them a little bit, especially if they're going to uh, towards Washington State. I mean that uh, they're going to have a short week after this, and mm-hmm. the spread on this game was like seventeen. And man, I would be tossing all my money on on the Golden Bears here in this spot. Um, I think that is way too big of a number. This Cal defense is improved by leaps and bounds. Um, Justin Wilcox loves to run an aggressive 3-4, and he mixes up uh, his fronts a lot, especially in passing downs. He likes to go um, a lot of times with just two down linemen um, and, you know, bring guys off of the edge in different places. And I don't think we've – I don't think that USC has faced anything like that at all this season. So Yeah, no, they haven't. And and I, I think, you know, you, you see – you know, they're just – their protection up front is going to have to be rock solid. It's going to have to be dang near perfect, I think, because of what uh, what Justin Wilcox is able to do defensively with his with his philosophy and, and the way he kind of does things with uh, – as far as his blitz packages and things like that, I think um, I think that could spell trouble for USC. And uh, this sink faucet has a mind of its own, by the way. Apparently. Um, I like breathed on it and it turned on, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a game that that I really like set up. This is this is a statement game for Cal. If they can win this game, if they can come out now, granted USC is more talented than Cal, and Cal there's gonna have to be a lot of things that go right for Cal. But I think that you know I think this is one of those games where where it will because I think they believe in what what Wilcox is selling, and I think you know. I think the fans are behind them. I think U.S. This you know this usually sets up these type of games don't set up well for USC. No, Wilcox has really you know, breathed some life into this program after you know uh, a couple of years there where it just it really felt like they can never get anything going on a Sunday Dykes and or nothing consistent at least. And it's you know I, I think a lot of it was recruiting. Yeah, but I think also recommitting to the run game um, has yeah. helped as well. So, um, 
Well, uh, Coach, um, do you have any any slants you want to bring us real quick before uh, we get into our, our professor's pop quiz? No, let's let's pop quiz. I like pop quizzes. All right. Well, you're here. Um, so. Uh, just like last time, uh, we're, I've got a question for you guys that has multiple answers, a la Stump the Schwab. So, um, you know, I was looking at some, you know, early season returns on Heisman ballots, and it got me thinking about the Heisman Trophy already. So, gentlemen, there are 18, 18 schools that have produced more than one Heisman Trophy winner. Name them. Josh, you can go first. I mean, start with the alma mater, Wisconsin. Yep. Alamichi and Rondane. Coach? I'm going to go with Georgia. That is correct. Georgia Charlie, has two, two Heisman winners. Charlie Tripp yeah, and Herschel Walker. Yep. Josh? Uh, USC has either six that was vacated to five or seven that was vacated to six. Seven vacated to six. That is correct. Hmm. Coach? Let's, let's see. Auburn. Uh, Auburn, has, Auburn has three Heisman winners. Yes. And Cam Newton. Yep. Josh? Well, got to go with the Gators. Uh, the Gators also have three. Coach? I, I, won my, I won one myself, and I coached some other ones up, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oklahoma. Oklahoma has five Heisman winners. Josh? Alabama. That is correct. Alabama has only two. But they yeah, got multiple. But they got multiple. That's all. Joe, that's all that matters. It was Joe Willie. Was it Joe Willie and Mark Ingram? Uh, I don't Joe think Joe, I don't think Joe Willie ever won the Heisman. Is it yeah. the two recent ones? Yeah, it's They're both from the Saban era. Yeah, they were a weird team that had never won one. Yeah, Coach. Huh. Weird. Okay. Uh... I want to say Penn State, maybe. Uh, sorry, Coach, you are out. Penn State is not in there. Josh, for the win. So uh, I believe I remember this from doing the Sporkle quiz, but I think Yale has two winners. That is correct, sir. Yale has two winners. I was tempted to say Michigan, but I was I was pausing and I couldn't remember if Michigan had one. Michigan, than... Michigan has three. Okay, I could for whatever reason I could only remember uh, Dez. Uh, yeah, there are some from much earlier years. The full list, uh, you guys you guys did not get either of the two teams that have the most, Notre Dame and Ohio State. Those were too obvious. I mean, we wanted to dig deep. We wanted to do the deep trucks. You got USC. You got Oklahoma. You missed Army with three. You got Auburn. You got Florida. Coach, you missed your father's alma mater. Uh, the Knowles have three. Uh, Michigan has three, Nebraska has three, Alabama two, Georgia two, Miami has two, Navy two, Texas two, Hamu has two, Wisconsin and Yale also have two. And Iowa has one, but the, like, most second-place finishers ever. Do they have more second-place finishes than Stanford? 
I mean, they had Chuck Long, Brad Banks, uh, Alex Karras, uh, the uh, Cal Jones, and, mean, and there's an outside chance that Randy Duncan also finished second. I mean, Andrew Luck had at least uh, Andrew Luck finished runner up twice. Um, who was their white running back before Luck was there that got drafted by the Jaguars? Um, yeah, Toby Gerhardt was a runner up. McCaffrey was a runner up. Um, Stanford has a lot of runner up as well. Um, so, well, let's get into the big. Let, let's get into the into the big. Yeah, but it's Stanford. No one cares. That's true. Um, let's get into some deep roots, though. Um, uh, we're going to start with San Diego. Stanford's State. biggest football highlight involves a band. So, <laughs> on the losing end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It, had they won that game, John Elway would have gotten to play in a bowl game. Because of that, he did not. Or if John Elway played today, they could have been in the Cure Bowl. <laughs> no, they're, they're not in the um, San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. <laughs> That's a shame. No, uh, the the craft. Uh, there's like a craft hunger bowl, which is I think it's is kind of fight. It's the craft fight hunger bowl. I thought it was the hunger bowl, which sounds <laughs> moronic to me. Come into your live the hunger bowl of Ethiopia. Oh gosh, <laughs> Josh, we just lost all of our listeners in East Africa. Oh well, we're still doing well in Djibouti. We're off, we're off the rails, folks. The capital off. of Djibouti is the Djibouti. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're not off the rails until I start doing loopholes. <laughs> we're going to get there soon enough. We've already heard Spurrier. Um, so um, our first deep root, we're going to try to reel it back in here, guys. Um, coming off of a huge win against Stanford last week, the San Diego State Aztecs are headed to Fort Collins to take on those pesky Falcons at Air Force uh, who, you know, held Michigan last week. <laughs> so, Josh, any way that Troy Calhoun could slow down Rashad Penny in that fearsome San Diego State run game? Uh, yeah, I mean, they... They did well against Michigan, let's be honest. You know, 29-13, they hung in that game. Uh, their defense is playing much better than anticipated after graduating everybody. Uh, so I think they've got a puncher's chance. And, I mean, the, the guys in Colorado Springs are going to be crazy. The fans are going to be great. The, the cadets will uh, be doing their doing their thing. But are, they called, are they called cadets there? Airmen? Yeah, I, I thought um, it would be, I, I don't know. Pilots? Uh, but I sort of I sort of see this playing out like Michigan, where eventually just the superior talent for San Diego State will prevail. And like I said, after the Stanford game, this, you know, Penny is incredible, but they're getting just enough from Christian Chapman where – you can't totally sell out and bring the house and just shut down the running game. He has just enough of an arm to keep at least a couple of your defensive backs honest. And coupled with that vintage Rocky Long defense, the Aztecs are a nightmare to play. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a really close game at all. I think it's going to be Rashad Penny, and it's going to be just a, just a Rashad Penny show. To be honest with you, and I think it's going to be uh, bad news for for the Air Force. 
Well, um, yeah, I'm. I don't think I'm at quite as uh, steadfast as coaches here on picking San Diego State um, to just absolutely dominate the game, but I think they are the superior team and should win out in the end. Um, but we're gonna travel now to Southeastern Conference. Alabama is traveling to Nashville to take on in a uh, Vanderbilt in a matchup of two unbeatens in the SEC. Obviously, Vanderbilt's defense is what has propelled them to a 3-0 start, but it's one thing to stop MTSU, Alabama A&M, and Kansas State, but uh, Coach, uh, stopping Alabama is a whole different ballgame. Well, yeah. I mean, they're just so big and fast up front. I mean, uh, they, you know, how they get after you. Their front seven, I'll put them number three behind Georgia and Clemson as far as talent and depth and speed and just overall nastiness. And they're just, I mean, offensively, I mean, they, they just, they come at you with four and five stars and they're three deep. And, you know, when, you're, when your number ones are getting tired, they're rolling in guys that can be number ones everywhere else. And, you know, that's just kind of where they get you. You know, scheme-wise, they're not that fancy. You know, they don't do much complex stuff. They just do their job and do it extremely well and have numerous guys backing them up that can that can come in and, and raise hell. And then, uh, you know, with Vandy, that's that's the main concern I have for them. I, I, I'm concerned about their depth and what they can – what they're able to do against a team that, that can throw so many guys at you. But uh, scheme-wise, I, I think – I think they match up well with them. I think there's a lot of things Vandy can do well offensively. Kyle Shermer is as hot as he's ever been. Um, he's he's you know he's moving the ball really well. Ralph Are you Webb concerned about Ralph Webb at all though? Like I, he's not looked like he did like as explosive. Yeah, last yeah, I, I am. He, he's not as explosive, um, and th- they're not really using him as much either. So. Um, I think he's a good weapon in, in small spots this year, and for what they're using him for and what they're doing with him, is not they're they're not leaning on him as heavy, which is which is good because he's he doesn't look like he did last year. Um, he's still extremely talented, but he just doesn't doesn't look the same. Josh, you got anything to add here on this one? I do, and um, you know I'm not gonna say that. Vanderbilt is the team that's going to do it and pull off the upset. But looking at Alabama's numbers offensively, I just don't think they're good enough offensively to win a national title this year. They might not even be good enough offensively to win an SEC title this year because their trajectory right now is extremely one-dimensional and just not diverse enough to really scare me. So Jalen Hurts right now is averaging just 157 yards a game. Uh, He's averaging just 1.3 passing touchdowns per game. Uh, He has almost 42% of his passes going to one man, Calvin Ridley. So you bracket him, and are you really that concerned about Robert Foster? Uh, The person with the second most receptions of the team is running back Bo Scarborough. That's not exactly an impressive receiving core. And to heighten that or highlight that Calvin Ridley number even far further, uh, 46% of their passing yards are to Calvin Ridley. They're not spreading the ball around enough. They're not diverse enough. 
And this is also conveniently not bringing up the fact that Jalen Hurts has 312 rushing yards to lead the team. Uh, that is more than Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough have combined. So Hurts is really good. He's a running back playing quarterback, but eventually you need to pass your way to victory. And I don't think Hurts is able to do that. And if I'm Mason, defensive-minded coach, Vanderbilt has a pretty good defense. I am telling my corners, you two are Revis Island this game. You're getting, you're doing your own thing, and we're putting everyone else in that box to shut down Alabama and make them one-dimensional. And I don't think Hurts can pass it well enough to get this team to a national title. Yeah, I mean, their best quarterback all around is sitting on the bench right now to a tag of Aloha. I was actually going to ask that, Coach. Do you think we're going to see him sooner rather than later? Yeah, if they struggle against Vandy, I think I think you'll start to kind of see it. Um, I don't know when they're going to pull the trigger on, on Tagovailoa, but I, I think they should. I think Jalen Hurts is – I think he's too one-dimensional for, for that team. I think he locks in on Calvin Ridley. And, you know, a defense like Vanderbilt, who actually leads the conference in scoring defense and passing defense and actually total defense as well. So three they categories. They lead the country in total defense. Conference. No, not just the country. They lead the country in terms of defense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They lead the country. Yeah. And uh, so this is not the same old Vandy team that that lines up and is a circled win. I mean, they're going to give them some. And and last week they had uh, Ladarius Wiley earn uh, conference player of the week for defense. Uh, He had 11 tackles against Kansas State, uh, intercepted the pass and knocked down two other two others and you know with with Kansas State that's not a that's not a, a rinky dink opponent so Vanderbilt's defense is going to come to play they're going to make a statement I don't think Vandy's going to win but they're going to make it extremely tough on Alabama I think they're going to expose uh the the defensive game plan against Alabama I think the difference in this game is going to be Alabama's front seven uh, I think they're going to give Vanderbilt fits on offense and uh and their the front seven is just going to make make enough plays to to give them opportunities, and the score is going to look a, a lot worse than it than it actually is. It'll probably be a two touchdown game from Alabama, but it won't have that feel of Alabama. Alabama will win by two touchdowns, but you'll never feel like they were really in control. And don't forget about Charles Wright on Vanderbilt. He leads the country in sacks against FBS teams with six already. Through um, there you go in in two games versus FBS teams this year. Wright has has six sacks. Um, which is pretty impressive. So yeah. uh, expect, you know, uh, expect a lot of pressure from Vanderbilt. Um, I, th- I think the spread on this game is something like 18, 18 and a half. Um, mm-hmm. You, you got to think about Vandy there if you are a betting man. But we are going to head next to Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City, Iowa, which will be the host to the biggest game in the Big Ten this weekend when the Hawkeyes are taking on the number four Nittany Lions. Uh, I could say some things about the game, including my unabashed love for Nathan Stanley and my ever-growing hatred of James, <laughs> James Franklin. But uh, I'm going to hand it off to our Big Ten expert here uh, to get really in-depth on this one. Josh, you're going to be at the game. 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, last time there was a primetime kickoff against a top five uh, Penn State team, and I was at the crowd, Iowa won. So, I mean, lock it down. The game's over. Last time uh, they had a primetime kickoff against a top five team, they beat Michigan, too. Uh, yeah, so uh, lock it down. Game's over. I mean, why even play it? Um, that would be ideal if Penn State chose not to show up. Uh, so, before the season started, I think a lot of – do have Marcus Allen. Yeah. Penn State does. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, I'm not a running back, Allen. Uh, so a couple weeks ago before the season started, I think the biggest fear for Iowa fans was how would their offense be? Because it, it was one thing to beat Joe Paterno's plotting conservative offense, but, you know, James Franklin, he's improved this offense tremendously. They're a modern offense. And Iowa, just the last few matchups against Franklin's Penn State, Penn State teams have gotten extremely ugly and – most of it's because Iowa's offense couldn't sustain any drives. They couldn't score. Defense couldn't get rested. That's how they won the, the Michigan game last year is they sustained drives. They didn't always score. It was a low-scoring game, but, you know, they would get two, three first downs to let the defense rest up. And so Iowa needed an offense to hang in this game. I think they have it. Um, so if the defense plays up to their high bar that we set – for the Hawkeye defense, Iowa's got a decent chance in this game. And one other thing, and I don't want people to think I'm a total homer, but you look at the t- resumes of these two teams. Um, Penn State shellacked Akron, a MAC team not expected to do anything in their opener. Iowa beat Wyoming, a pretty good team with one of the best quarterbacks. So that's a more impressive victory for Iowa. Uh, week two, Penn State had a sleepwalking win at home against Pitt, a team that was obliterated by Oklahoma State, whereas Iowa went on the road and won at Iowa State. I think if Iowa State and Pitt played each other, I would take the Cyclones in that game. And then last week, uh, Penn State played Georgia State, one of the worst programs in the country at home. And Iowa played North Texas, a team that went to a bowl game last year, and really isn't that bad and does some good things offensively with the no huddle. So I think Iowa is a little bit more battle-tested. It's Penn State's first trip away from Happy Valley. There's a lot of dominoes here that give Iowa a legit chance to hang in this game. We'll see if they put it all together. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, this is Penn State's chance to, to show that they're legit. All right, they're 3-0. and They're they're number four in the country. Everyone's feeling great about Saquon Barkley. Georgia State held him to just 47 yards on the ground last week. Um, Barkley's the, the number one NFL guy and all this stuff, yada, 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 about the Nittany Lions. Well, this is their first first true test, and I think Iowa's going to have a great game plan against them. Uh, they're getting Akram Wadley back. He'll play. Uh, he left He left the uh, North Texas game early. Is that right, Josh? Um, yeah, and it was weird. He kind of tweaked his ankle, but he walked off under his own power. I think part of it, too, was uh, Kirk's an old-school guy. I think Kirk was probably more hopping mad about the <laughs> unsportsmanlike conduct penalty taking a touchdown off the board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, he, like he's back. That does sound exactly like Kirk. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that, I mean, Penn State is either going to come out and crush Iowa. I, I think this game is going to go one of two ways. Penn State's going to come out and just freaking dominate 
and it's going to be one of those where they run away with it, and you're wondering, what the heck happened to Iowa? Penn State is legit. Here's the statement game, okay? That could happen, all right? Um, or Iowa is going to win a close game. I don't think Penn State's going to win a game if it's close on the road. Uh, I, I think it's. I think Iowa's going to be able to shut it, shut them down um, if it's close. Wadley's going to have a big day on defense. Uh, Stanley's going to have a, a huge day on offense. They're 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 going to. Penn State's going to have to withstand the initial surge, the, the initial the initial blow, the initial punch in the mouth, and. Uh, after that, Penn State's going to have to settle in, and we'll see who they really are. I just want to see some big collisions between Josie Jewell and Saquon Barkley. That, that's what I'm looking forward to most in this game, besides, obviously, my gigantic man crush on Nathan Stanley. I want to see uh, Stanley and his receivers finally hit on one of their long throws. Man, they've been, like, just inches off. Oh, they've been so close, but... You know, I mean, it's his first season as a starter. They'll get that as they, you know, as they get more game reps. I, I think one, I think one thing I, Iowa will need, they got it um, in that awesome game in Happy Valley a few years ago with Adrian Claiborne blocking the punt. Uh, they need to get a score in a non-conventional way, whether it's defense or special teams or, as Hayden Fry used to say, throwing an exotic. And so maybe like a flea flicker or a reverse, something that, just catches Penn State at the right time. Oh, yes. absolutely! Yeah, that that I think that is. I, if you look at what has been sort of there in all these Iowa upsets we've seen over the past five, eight, ten years, it seems to be an unconventional score. Whether it's you know special teams play, it seems to be block kicks everywhere. Um, you know, for some somehow the Hawkeyes seem to come up and block kicks in the most important moments. So, um, and maybe really we had Adrian Claiborne for this game. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, obviously uh, he ain't walking through that door, Josh. Not either. So, um, well, we're gonna move from one co-host team to another. Uh, this time, headed down to Athens uh, in a big cross-divisional game between yeah. Mississippi State and Georgia, a battle of the dogs. Uh, Dan Mullen's squad hasn't won in Athens since the Eisenhower administration. That's correct. The last time that Mississippi State won in Athens was 1956. Last week, Nick Fitzgerald torched LSU's defense, accounting for all four Bulldog touchdowns. But he is going to face a, I think, what I think is a significantly tougher test this week against a Georgia defense that is looking like one of the best, not just in the SEC coach, but in the entire country. Yeah, I mean, again, that front seven is is un, unreal. The speed that they have, especially on the edges with Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy, um, they've just they just and found the boy, a knack Roquan to. Smith. Yeah, Roquan Smith is anchoring the center of that defense and anchoring that front seven. He's been a tremendous leader for that defense. So, I don't know, Coach. Like, uh, you, you've got from you, you've got from starting another game here. It looks like. Um, do you think that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, put up some points against the Mississippi State team that you know was able to really shut down LSU? Well, if they do, they're going to have to find a way to do it on the ground because it's uh, you know it's going to be tough sledding through the air. They're going to they're going to try to shut down the run game. They're going to force from to to beat them through the air and 
if they can shut down the run and force Georgia to be one-dimensional, that's their best chance. Whether they will do that or not, I'm not sure. But, you know, Jake Fromm is going to have to really grow up in this game. I want to see them use the tight ends more, quite frankly. Um, they, they should. They really should. But they, they, they've got but such talented tight ends. But if they can't get the running game going, then – you know, there's but there's not much. Even there's just, not much they can do. Even just to free up a little bit of space, you know, just to keep them yeah. honest. Even if you can just get a couple of quick hitters, um, you know, I mean, Nada is such a, a a matchup nightmare for anyone he goes against. He's just a, yeah. too big and physical that, um, you know, I, I don't understand why he is not utilized more in in their passing attack. He should be. He really should be because he's. You know, he's got the speed of a wide receiver, and he's got the body of a of a tight end, and, and he just—he's got the body of a tackle. Up. My God, he's huge. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's what about six four, two sixty, six five. Yeah, I mean, he's he he's freaking enormous. Josh, anything you're watching for in this one? Well, you know, I was thinking about that LSU game, and I'm of the mindset that teams rarely have two upsets in a row. It was such. A total dominating effort by Mississippi State that I don't consider it an upset now almost a week later. I think Mississippi State's for real and it's a great shot in this game. Uh, the other thing that I found hilarious is when I was looking at the game on Wikipedia, they list all the games in between the two schools and go compare. It's got the coaches. And uh, just a random tidbit, in 1914, uh, the coach of Mississippi State was Earl C. Billy Hayes. Billy was his nickname. And the Georgia coach was uh, William A. Bill Cunningham. So we got a perfect name for this rivalry. It's uh, the Billy Bill game. Let's go with it. <laughs> that works for me. Hey, I got a trivia question. Oh. I got a bonus trivia question. Hit it, coach. Okay. All right. When was the last time that Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt were all three and zero? What what name that year? Oh my God! Um, Can I say trick question? Never. I'm no. no. I'm, I'm going to go with 1924. Ooh, you're close. What is it? Close, Josh. You want to throw a guess out there? Uh, uh, so I guess my uh, never guess will pan out. Uh, I will do uh, the total dickish Price is Right move and go with 1925. <laughs> <laughs> it was, the answer is, and uh, the side trivia question would be who was president at this time, and I think it was, I think it was Roosevelt. Not Franklin, but Teddy. 1911. 1911? Uh, I, I believe that's a Taft presidency, Josh. Is that Taft? Josh? Uh, I think that's Taft. I believe it's Woodrow Wilson. You know, Woodrow Wilson's 1912 to 1920. So this is 1912. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, so that's Bill Taft. Yeah. So Bill Taft. So the last time, so Bill Taft oversaw the last time that Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Kentucky were all undefeated. I'm going well, to tell you I voted for Shelly Roosevelt. He was one of a president. I, I'm going to go I'm going to go trivia on trivia on trivia. <laughs> William Howard Taft, the only president of the United States to ever become uh, justice on the Supreme Court. 
and then eventually Chief Justice. Exactly. And, and the got president to get tub. stuck in a tub in the White House. <laughs> and was uh, voted for by Lou Holtz. <laughs> See, I, I was... And Bill Snyder. I Bill was, Snyder was his number one advisor. I never saw Holtz as much of a populist. <laughs> he was a slobberist. <laughs> <laughs> End the show. We're never going to surpass that. This has been the final episode of Illegal Motion. <laughs> we can't we have the final game. Oh my god. We just uh, gained about 10 million listeners <laughs> on that one. I'm not I, 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 <laughs> if our episodes had subtitles, I think that Lou Holtz was not a populist, he was a slobberist. It is absolutely turning into the <laughs> subtitle for this episode. <laughs> Our final deep root, oh man, <laughs> is a gigantic game in the Big 12. Uh, number 16 Horn Frogs are headed to Stillwater to take on the Pokes, who are up to number six in the AP poll. Mason Rudolph is absolutely the toast of the town right now. He's already got 1,135 yards and 11 scores on the short season through the air. And he's done that, and he's done that, get this, in playing in only of eight of the team's 12 quarters so far. TCU has looked very good so far this season, especially in their win at Arkansas, but had a little bit of trouble uh, with the the Pony Express last week, giving up 36 points to a Mustang squad that is, you know, middle of the pack in the American. Nonetheless, Kenny Trill seems to have matured in his second season starting uh, for the Frogs and is completing uh, 75% of his passes and not making throats last gestures. So that's a step in the right direction. Uh, Josh, do you think that Gary Patterson can pull off some of his old defensive magic and get the upset up there in T Boone picking stadium. Uh, I mean, they've been impressive, like you said, and they already have a road win at a power five school, which Arkansas technically is. Um, although they really haven't been playing like it recently. Uh, that SMU game, though, I you know the Ponies do some really good things, and that's such an important rivalry to the ponies that, you know, maybe that's why they were able to do some good things. You bury the lead, though, that TCU put up 56 of that game, so they still won by 20. But when I'm thinking about Oklahoma State, though, this game really unfolds nicely for a championship run and not just conference. I'm talking about national title. They're getting their first real big test of the year at home, and as good as TCU is, though, it's not the biggest test they could have had. It's not like Oklahoma is this week. So this is a really good way for them to get their feet wet. Then they have some soft opponents before West Virginia and then Oklahoma at home. This is like ideal scheduling situation. And the fighting Gundys just need to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is going to be – one of those, if it was at TCU, if it was in Dallas, I, I would feel better about their chances. But I just think right now Oklahoma State's just rolling along. They're just clicking on all cylinders. They were able to go all the way across to Pittsburgh, put up 59, um, and had they had Mason Rudolph played the fourth quarter, they probably would have put up 98, like Josh said, uh, in our text message chains. Uh, they're just so dynamic on offense. They're just so explosive on offense that, you know, one, once they get rolling, it's it's hard to stop. 
Um, their leading wide receiver, James Washington, uh, he's got 367 yards on the season. He's currently averaging, averaging 28.7 yards per catch. That's obscene. I mean, yeah, that, that is that. that uh, I, I don't even know how you how you get those kind of numbers. He he's breaking them left and right. Uh, watch out there for old Jim. Uh, you know, he is going to be ridiculously hard for them to cover. So, speaking of covering, man, you guys covered them spreads last week really well. You both went five and zero against the spread. I went three and two for the season. Josh, you're ten and five. Coach is twelve and three. I'm seven and eight. So time to get into our spread formations for the week. We are going to start um, with Florida State that has not taken the field in 21 days uh, by the time this game kicks off. And 21 days ago, they will have lost to Alabama and lost also DeAndre Francois, their starting quarterback for the season. Uh, the Knowles will be starting true freshman James Blackman against a very talented front seven from NC State. Um, after the opening season, uh, after opening the season with a close loss to South Carolina, the Wolfpack have had two easy victories over Marshall and Furman, but here they're 12 and a half point dogs in Tallahassee. Josh, what's your take here? Well, NC State played like garbage against South Carolina and yet rallied and had that game end at about the eight yard line. They were super close to tying it up. They ran out of time. They didn't run out of anything else. I mean... Agreed, agreed. Ryan Finley, here's some stats for you. 987 yards in three games, uh, 75.6 completion percentage, uh, six TDs, zero interceptions. I love how he's spreading the ball around. Uh, Kelvin Harmon, the 24 receptions, tight end Jalen Samuels, 26 receptions, and then a really good complimentary wide receiver Stephen Lewis, with 16 receptions, the running game is also clicking nicely. I'm not just taking NC State to cover. I think they have a season-defining victory. Coach? And this is, this is going to be their step forward as a program. Yeah, I'm going to pump the brakes on NC State. Uh, I think they're good. I think they had, uh, you know, some early momentum against South Carolina, but I think I'm going to pump the brakes on them real quick. Um, I'm going to take Florida State in this one. They need to get back on the map ASAP, and they're going to have – you know, they've had some time to rest some guys, and uh, they might be a little rusty, but I still think they cover here. I, I think that the rust is going to be a little too much. I like Florida State to win, but NC State to cover. I see Florida State winning – by seven to ten, but definitely not the twelve and a half that they are currently favored by. Uh, second game we're going to talk about here: uh, two Pac-12 teams coming off of rough losses last week are going to meet in the farm, uh, where my UCLA Bruins are heading north to take on Stanford. Josh, Bruins haven't won in Palo Alto in a decade. They're seven and a half point dogs here. Where are you leaning? Well, it's a kind of a toss-up game, so you would prefer to go with the home team. Between the two coaches, there's one who I respect and one that I think is terrible, which you would then want to pick that team. And there's one team that appears to not know how to tackle, and you don't really want to take a bad defensive team either. So all three of those criteria favor Stanford. Cardinal get back on track in a big way. I think they cover winning by about two touchdowns. Coach? Ooh, um, I think 
I think they cover the spread uh, barely. I think with the minus seven and a half, I think they win by ten. They get a they get a late field goal to seal it. All right. Um, I. I, I'm I'm very concerned about UCLA's defense, and going against Bryce Love will not help anything. He might be the most explosive back in the country, but I like UCLA for a nice backdoor cover here. Uh, Rosen throwing up a couple extra touchdowns in garbage time uh, to bring them to lose only by seven. So give me the Bruins on the road. Uh, next, we've got an intriguing in-state matchup in the Tar Heel State. Uh, we got Wake Forest is a probably the quietest 3-0 in the country, but they have to head to Boone to take on an Appalachian State team that hasn't really been tested since their week one loss to Georgia. Josh, Demon Deacons, four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Who you got? Well, Wake's only given up 27 points all year. They have been scoring left and right, dropped 34 on BC up in Chestnut Hill. And BC's got a lot of issues, but defense is normally not one of them. That was pretty impressive. That got me talking about Wake in a recent show. I like what they're doing. And App State, a lot of their numbers were put up against Savannah State. They struggled with Georgia, and then surprisingly, they struggled at Texas State, one of the they worst. They really struggled at Texas State. Um, uh, 20 to 13, I think, was the final score. And that's a game you expected was. them to win by four yeah. scores. Yeah, I mean, the Bobcats are one of the worst teams in the Sun Belt. So I, I like what Wake Forest is cooking. I know it's a tough game in Boone, but I think they win by seven. And coach, coach? I like the Deeks. Everything Josh just said, I like the Deeks. Let's make it. A, let's make it our first sweep of, uh, of of this week. I will also take um, the winners of our ACC uh, mascot uh, breakdown from a couple summers ago. But next, um, we want to give a quick shout out to our number one fan, Aunt Sally, who requested that we talk a little Michigan football this week for her partner John, who is a very proud uh, Wolverine alumnus. So this week, uh, the Wolverines are ten point favorites at home against the upstart Boilermakers. Josh, uh, Michigan has struggled on O to say the least so far this season. I think Wilton Spade's thrown more touchdowns to the other team than he has to their <laughs> own team. Um, can he and the rest of the Michigan offense get things turned around against the Boilers? I'll tell you what's interesting is Michigan feels like a team right now that's not a team. Their individual parts, their talent we know is so great. Their individual pieces right now are better than some of their parts. We don't know what is going to make Michigan gel. We don't even know if they will. But when they do, look out. Purdue's the opposite. Purdue is playing better. The sum of their parts is better than their individual pieces. Purdue is enjoying their first winning streak since 2012 when they won three straight to get to a bowl game under Danny Hope. It was even before Daryl Hazel. So Purdue is in rare territory right now. They're confident. They're playing at home. And if the team plays like the Michigan fans right now, Purdue's got a great chance. And the reason I say that is my brother, Michigan alum, and a bunch of his friends are coming to Iowa City to watch the Penn State-Iowa game instead of going to West Lafayette or hanging out in Michigan. So the fans seem to think it's tied up, nice package, got the bow on it, signed, sealed, delivered. But Boilermakers have other options. 
I think Purdue covers. Woo. I can't say that. I'm I'm riding high with this Purdue team. Man, coach, you uh, you're gonna be number two here on the, on the Brom bandwagon. I, I love Brom. I think they're gonna lose by 13 points. I think they're gonna give Michigan. A, a run at it, but I think Michigan is going to find a way to win uh, this game on the ground. Uh, they're going to they're going to score a late touchdown. It's going to be one of those you sw- you're sweating it out, sweating it out, sweating it out. But they're going to win. Um, they're going to win by about thirteen or so. I think this is the game that uh, Michigan figures out a way to get the ball into the hands of Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, not just on special teams but on offense. And I think that's going to be the difference. I don't think Purdue has has the talent to cover the the weapons the those receivers on on Michigan. I think they're still I think one of the problems with Michigan this year is they're still trying to find a replacement for Jake Butt. Um and and they haven't been able to do that so far. But um I'm going to take I'm going to take the Wolverines here to cover barely uh 35 to 24, which would I, I like that it's 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. That Michigan can win by 10 and I still I'm gambling. I, I believe in Purdue. I'm giving them another week. I I, I, I want to take Purdue here so bad. Uh, but, <laughs> I, I do but, too, but I just can't. I mean, I got burned so bad by Boston College last week. I, I don't know if I don't know if I can do it again. But um, so, <laughs> as you all know, this is the time that we typically reserve for picking Kansas games. And while they are 21 and a half point underdogs at home. Uh, that does not even make them the biggest home dog in their own conference. Um, that dubious award would go to the Baylor Bears. And if the Cal Golden Bears are the, the newly adopted uh, unofficial official team of the Illegal Motion podcast, Baylor is the orphan we want nothing to do with. <laughs> uh, Matt Rule's bunch are 28-point underdogs in Waco to the Sooners. Josh, do you think they can even keep it that close? Uh, no. I'm taking Oklahoma, but I've got a counter-proposal. The mm. over-under is 63. Does Oklahoma hit that number themselves? Oh, yeah, because I, 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 think, that they do, I think they do, and here's why. Um, uh, in the previous administration, we know Baylor, under Art Briles, loved to run up the score. Um, and I think that the rest of the Big 12 is going to give them a little dose of their own medicine this season, and they are going to put it on them. Coach, how do you feel about this one? Man, I, I, I wish... I hope uh, that Oklahoma can cover the spread plus more. I think they will. Uh, Baylor's just pitiful right now. So I think they cover the spread and they do it. Uh, and Baker Mayfield plays three quarters. You think he, I, I, I think he, I think Baker Mayfield plays the first series in the second half and then doesn't have to see the field again. Man, um, I would love that actually. So um, yeah, I get, get boomer sooner, baby. Uh, yeah, G- give me Oklahoma all day and twice on Sunday here. So <laughs> that is uh, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. Um, Coach, we're we're glad we were able to catch you. Sorry, you're a little bit late, uh-huh. but um, you know another great weekend of college football. So on behalf of uh, Corey hey, Burton, hey Matt, Peter, before you go, oh, put your put your application in for athletic director at Nebraska. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, we we uh, we talked about about that for a brief second before you came on. We're going to dive into that a little bit more after Rutgers upsets Nebraska this weekend, and Riley has to uh, Riley has to go as well. So, uh, on behalf though of uh, uh, our coach Corey Burton and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook, this Shout is the out professor. To Arkansas's amazing uniforms for this week. Oh yeah, I saw, I saw those helmets. They they should make that their regular kit. It, 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 it really it's, should. It's it, it's pretty attractive. Uh, go look it up online if you haven't. Um, but this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Bet on Rutgers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.